Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Love is trust. So we're carrying on the the idea of what is love. So the survey that we did to the congregation, not to the congregation, to the community and probably some of the congregation as well. Uh, One of the questions was, which words, and people were told to pick their top three, do you most associate with love? Depending on how good your eyesight is, you'll see the selection of words up there. But I've just highlighted the top four ones that got scored on there. So... Uh, trust came out as the top words of people associated with love. So last week, Mark talked uh, about love is re- relational. So this week, we want to focus in um, for just a little bit of time on this one element here, trust. Because this is uh, an element of, uh, of relationalness, um, but it's the one thing that the people put top of their list. So trust, then it was family devotion, and then loyalty. Uh, What's interesting is on this survey, um, when people are asked uh, about what is the thing that can most damage love, they said betrayal, which I guess you could say is the opposite of trust. So people in the community, and I'm sure you as well, um, associate love and trust together in in a real, real way. And I can really understand that. We're all in relational people and in one-on-one relationships we have somebody that wants to trust and somebody that you look into um, for that trust. And if that trust isn't there, things get broken down. But when that trust is there, you can feel love in that relationship. So some quotes about trust. I looked these ones up. I like this first one here. Trust takes years to build, seconds to break, and forever to repair. (laughs) Maybe you've been in a relationship with somebody, uh, a friend, even uh, maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend or or a marriage, where you've, you've felt you've invested so much time and energy and that trust has been built up and then just one thing can happen. And that destroys your whole world. And then to try and rebuild that, it's difficult. It really is. Sometimes it's so difficult that without God's grace, maybe things are never going to be quite the same ever again. Uh, I like this other quote here that's been typed and put onto a crumpled up piece of paper. Breaking someone's trust is like crumpling up a perfect piece of paper. You can smooth it over but it's never going to be the same again. You know, I've tried to get crumpled paper and I've tried to put it into a book, heavy book, and and flatten it down, but it's never the same again. And that's, I'm sure you can relate to that in your relationships as well. When that trust has been broken, things are never quite the same again. However, God's grace is there for us and God's grace can be miraculous in certain situations and we should pray for God's grace but we should work to restore that trust um, if we need to. Another good quote about trust is this one by Stalin. 
He says, I trust no one, not even myself. <laughs> well, he was a bit of a nasty piece of work, Mr. Stalin. So um, if I was Stalin, I don't think I would trust myself either. He was responsible for millions and millions and millions of people's deaths um, in, in Russia. Um, I trust no one, not even myself. Trust is a quality that's quite difficult um, to find in people sometimes. Uh, this is a crocodile. Um, it's not my pet or anything like that. I, don't, I, I used to have a terrapin when I was younger, but I didn't have a crocodile. Uh, we didn't stretch uh, to that sort of thing in my household. Um, I think the neighbours would have been very pleased. Um, so this, I'll put this up here. Uh, there was an article uh, way back in The Guardian uh, about an Indonesian anti-drug czar. And um, he wanted to build a prison on an island and staff it with crocodiles because he said you can't bribe crocodiles. <laughs> uh, I think he, he was trusting crocodiles uh, better than people because he thought that uh, you can't convince a crocodile to let an inmate escape, that's what he said. So he didn't like um, humans because he thought that they weren't that trustworthy. He knew, he knew exactly what he was going to get with a crocodile. I think he was inspired by um, James Bond, Live and Let Die, where um, James Bond is, uh, there's an island with surrounded by crocodiles and stuff. I don't know if he ever built this, this um, Indonesian drug czar, but I can understand his sentiment. Um, trust is difficult to come by, and finding trustworthy people um, is very hard. So trustworthy, this word I looked up in dictionary.com, it means deserving of trust or confidence, dependable and reliable. You know, that, just that phrase, deserving of trust or confidence, you know, it includes a heap of stuff. I mean, it really does, doesn't it? Deserving of trust and confidence. As individuals in relationships, we are looking for trustworthy people. Um, and we, we, we look for them. Uh, because we know that if they're kind of a trustworthy person, then really that person is then showing us love in return. If, we are, if they are trustworthy, we know that we are loved. So trustworthiness. Um, who here trusts me? Uh, raise your hands. Ah, oh, look at that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few people. Um, uh, both, both you two come out then, please. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so this was this was great because this was a couple in agreement as well because they both agreed that they trusted me. So I, I need um, which which one of you trust me the most, <laughs> and then the other one can help me. All right. Oh, all right. Okay. If you you stand here. Okay. All right. <laughs> so. So I've just got to bring some things out here as well. Um, so do you, do, you, do you trust me with water? <laughs> um, was that just a nervous laugh or a yes? That's a yes. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, do you trust me with extremely sharp pencils? Of course. Oh, brilliant. This is good. So, okay, now we just need to... Uh, prepare one of these. So this is just an, a normal Sainsbury's um, resealable freezer bag. Um, uh, this is not product placement, by the way. This is. 
So if you could um, just open it up here like that. Yeah, and then I'm just gonna yeah you can hold that and I'm gonna pour some water. <laughs> don't wait to drop it. So we're just gonna pour the water into the bag. Whoops, can we just open up the hole there because I'm not a very good shot. Oh, I shouldn't say that really, should I? <laughs> I don't want to add to any nerves here at all. Right now, are you able to are you able to seal the top up? Can you, let's, let's see. Let's, oh, let's put a little bit more in. I think a bit more. A bit more? <laughs> yeah, he trusts me. Right, can, can we seal the top up there? Do you want some hands for that? Shall we? I'm going to let you do that. Do all right, right. okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so now you can come up here. Me? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I'd like you to just hold this above your husband's head. <laughs> yeah, look at, look at that. So, so now, um, uh, would you trust me to put a pencil through the bag? I'm worried about it. I'll trust you. So, okay, this, this isn't... Yeah, you can feel it's quite sharp. Right. If we just turn around here a little bit here, yes, yeah. Okay, so here's, here's the pencil... And we're just going to... Oh, look at that. Do you want to just show that? Yeah, just have a look up. Yeah, we've got one pencil. Oh, oh. How, about, how about another pencil? <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, look at that. Well done. Thank you very much. <laughs> That went better than the first service. <laughs> That's why not so many people put their hands up in the second one. <laughs> so I was trusted in that situation. Um, I'll put them on the spot a little bit, I do, I do admit. But... They knew that I had their best interests at heart, that I loved them. And they knew that I wasn't going to um, humiliate them too much if they were <laughs> to come up here or endanger their life um, too much either with my sharp pencils and my water. And uh, because they saw something of trustworthiness in me, they trusted me in a circumstance they didn't even know quite what was going to happen. And when you, have, when you can see trustworthiness in people, it's transferable in different situations. And it builds love. It builds love. And I think a lot of times that when we're in our lives, that we're looking as individuals because we want um, other people, uh, we want to trust other people, we want them to do things right for us. But sometimes we need to flip it around the other side and we need to think, what can I do as an individual to be a more trustworthy person, to build love and to build different relationships in other people so that, uh, so that they can trust me? It's so easy to blame other people. We need to look in the mirror and say, what can I do to become more of a trustworthy person? Jesus says in the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. Or you could say, be trustworthy to others as you would have them act trustworthy to you. 
trust in the survey was the biggest thing people associate with love. If we act in a trustworthy manner, we are actively exhibiting love to those people around us all the time. All the time. But relationships do break down, and that is a a difficult situation. When a relationship breaks down, uh, God wants us to forgive. In fact, forgiveness is um, uh, a command, really. It's it's expected of us. Um, In the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says that one of the things we should pray is, forgive us our sins our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, the people that have sinned against us. It's the prayer that, uh, that Jesus teaches us to pray. Their expectation is that we ask for forgiveness from God because we are forgiving other people around us. And when Jesus preached the parable of the unforgiving uh, and unmerciful servant, he was showing that it, that is an expectation. He expects us to show mercy. He expects us to forgive. But what is forgiveness? <clears throat> forgiveness is a, a tricky thing sometimes, and sometimes we can get messed up in our heads of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. I like to first of all think about what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't just ignoring what somebody has done and just brushing it off, because often the things that people have done are really bad and really hurtful. Also, forgiveness isn't just excusing what somebody has done and thinking that, okay, they've done it, but I can just let them off. That's what forgiveness is. That's not what forgiveness is. It's not letting people off. Sometimes people have done things and there are consequences for the actions that they've done. Forgiveness isn't ignoring, isn't excusing. Another thing we can think about forgiveness is forgive and forget. And people get a real problem, I think, and a hang-up about that because they think if they can't forget it, then they haven't forgiven somebody. But that's not true. The Bible doesn't say forgiveness is forgetting. Quite often you always remember things that happened to you. But the teaching of the Bible is that forgiveness is letting go. It's not holding against the individual anymore what that thing is. You just let go and you drop it. I'm not going to hold the, that against this person anymore. I'm going to let it go. <clears throat> I'm going to let it go. And then as you don't hold um, anything against that person anymore, you then you, like, you reach out a hand for reconciliation. But that's all you can do in forgiveness is reaching out a hand because you can't guarantee somebody is going to take that hand and hold it. You can't guarantee that because Paul says in Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on me, it's to reach out my hand. It's up to the other person whether they want to grasp it and take it. And sometimes it's unwise to look for reconciliation as well because sometimes we're being put in situations where there's been violence or abuse. And in those times... We, we can forgive, but then it would be inadvisable to um, bring back into relationship. And I don't think God wants us to go back into relationship um, if, that's gonna, if you're going to be abused or have violence put against you in any way, shape or form. 
So although I would say forgiveness is, um, is expected, reconciliation is the ideal. I think God wants everybody to reconcile, but it takes two to reconcile. And the other person has to show that they're ready to be reconciled to you. But when you want to have this reconciliation take place between forgiveness and reconciliation, the only way that's going to happen is if there's a bridge of trust that goes between you and the other person. And like we said at the beginning about <clears throat> trust can be broken in a second but then takes a lifetime to rebuild, sometimes those bridges take a long time to rebuild. But that's the only way that's going to happen. And for, that, for this to happen as well, the individual that's hurt has got to be willing to trust again. But that person that's done the hurting has got to then show that they are now becoming trustworthy to earn that trust. There's a story in the Bible which I think demonstrates this really well, and that is the story of Joseph. Now, quite often, we read the story of Joseph and we look at it from the point of view as the providence of God. Um, But I want to look at it today from the point of view of uh, relationship. And just to help me get into the mood for this, um, any of you guys out there, if you've got women in your life, that when you go to the shops and you buy something, you bring it home, uh, like some new clothes, and uh, the women say, what did you buy that for? Do you ever have that? Or do, or do you ever try and put something on and then they say to you, this could be your mother, maybe? You can't go out in that. You can't go in that. So luckily, my wife is over in rock today. So I'm, just, I'm going to show you what my wife doesn't like. <laughs> and she says, I will never go out with you wearing this shirt. So this is my shirt of many colours. And I will put this on in honour of Joseph. <laughs> Thank you. But, and you can tell my wife how wonderful it looks and how you think I should wear it more often. <laughs> and it's our 26th wedding anniversary on Wednesday. Tell, tell her I should wear it to take her out for dinner. <laughs> and see what she says. So Joseph, um, this story is in Genesis chapters 37 to 44. I would love to read the whole thing to you, but I've only got nine minutes and 46 seconds left. (laughs) So um, I would encourage you to read this story of Joseph yourself uh, at home during the week or maybe in home groups uh, and look at it from the perspective of Joseph um, and his brothers. So just a little outline and I'll draw a few points out about this. So Joseph comes from a family uh, where uh, the dad is called Jacob or Israel. And the dad has 12 sons and at least one daughter. So that's complicated in itself. 12, 13 children. That's complicated. But then uh, these are not all by the same woman either. So he's got two wives, Leah and Rachel. And he's got two handmaidens, Beliah and Zilpah. And so these children are all mixed match from different mothers. 
Really complicated. You think your life's bad? <laughs> what was it like in that home? Uh, the queue for the bathroom must have been something. <laughs> and the sons, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Iskar, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin. Uh, there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> but I, Although I'm good at singing, I'm not going to sing that one now. So this family um, is a complicated family. Then Joseph, is where we read, is his dad's favourite son. And his dad makes a big thing about it, gives him the coat of many colours. I'm sure it wasn't as good as this shirt, I'm sure. And so his brothers, his half-brothers, get really miserable about this. Then to make matters worse, make matters worse, Joseph has some dreams, and he unwisely tells his brothers what the dreams are. And they're dreams about like, people bowing down to him, the implication that his brothers are going to bow down to him. Now, they already don't like him very much, and this is the last straw. Um, this is absolutely the last straw. Um, and there's a wonderful verse in chapter 37, verse 8, and that says, after he, his, after he told his brothers this, it says, his brothers hated him all the more. <laughs> so they hated him all, <laughs> quite a lot to start with, but this was the final straw. They hated him all the more. There's this breakdown in relationship, this resentment going on between uh, his brothers and himself. So then this all builds up to one day when Joseph is sent out to find his brothers um, in the fields. And as they see him coming, they plot to kill him. So... Things have really got bad now. However, one brother, Reuben, says, no, we can't kill him, let's just throw him down a well. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> and he has an idea, let's go and pick him up the next day. But then Judah says, no, let's make some money out of this. <laughs> let's not kill him, let's make some money out of it. Let's sell, it, sell him into slavery. So they sell him to some passing Ishmaelites. Who are, who are got their caravan train going by. And he sells, him, sells Joseph for 30 pieces of silver. So then they've done the deed, they've got some money, they've got rid of their brother, they don't care about their brother, they don't care about what their dad thinks, they take their shirt off Joseph's back, they dip it into some goat's blood, take it to the dad and say, look what's happened. The implication is been eaten by wild animals and his dad is distraught and quite rightly so so then we have the whole story of joseph going to egypt and he and he has a roller coaster ride all sorts of things happen to him but he ends up the second in command in egypt under pharaoh and he interprets pharaoh's dreams correctly and he stores up lots of grain for time of famine and so Egypt is the only place in the area that's got food. Nobody else has got food, and it's because of Joseph. And Joseph is in charge of distributing all this food. So then his brothers are in their own country with their dad, and they're having a terrible time because there's famine. So they come to Egypt to ask for some food, and they bring some silver to pay for it. And then... Joseph meets his estranged family for that first time. 
in so many years. And Joseph longs, he longs to be reunited with his family. But that trust that he had is broken. And he doesn't want to just expose who he is to his brothers. They don't recognize him to start with. Probably because in that society, officials would have their heads shaved, be clean shaven as well, and he would look totally different um, like that. He doesn't want to uh, expose himself and reveal who he is to his brothers. He wants to uh, test them first. Have they changed? When Jesus talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says to them, it's not about your words that count. If you're repenting, you you must show fruits worthy of repentance. And this is what Joseph is looking for. He's looking for fruits worthy of repentance in his brothers' lives so he can reconcile himself with them. I'm sure he forgave his brothers, There's two passages in the story where you hear that Joseph breaks down in tears for his family and he has to go and hide himself away so they can't see him crying. His heart was breaking for them, but he couldn't reconcile with people he couldn't trust. He wanted to see that they had changed. They had got fruits worthy of repentance. Were they acting in a trustworthy way? And we can learn from this story because we can see what changes happened to his brothers and we can proactively try and make those qualities be in us so that we can be trustworthy too. So what happened to Joseph's brothers? When we read the stories in chapters 42, 43 and 44, we see about Joseph testing his brothers to see if they have um, got those fruits worthy of repentance. And in chapter 45, we have the reconciliation. So what are some of the things he does? Well, first of all, when the brothers come, they leave Benjamin behind. And um, Joseph recognizes them, but he accuses them of being spies. And they say, we're not spies. We've got a family and another brother back home and a dad. And so Joseph says, well, okay, then you've got to prove that to me. But to prove that to me, I want one person to stay behind, then you to go back and bring your younger brother back to me. And for three days, they're put into jail. And I think that jail was a humbling experience for them. They started to reflect on what had happened. And they say in verse 21, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us now. Sometimes we need humbling experiences in our lives to reveal the sin that we've committed. That's what happened to them. But far better if we humble ourselves while they're letting circumstances humble us. But through that humbling experience, they they showed remorse and they reflected on what they'd done. And then Simeon is left behind and the brothers go back to the father and uh, and they're given 
um, all the grain. But then Joseph arranges for all the money that they'd used, they brought to pay for that grain to be put back in their sacks. And so then when they get home, they mysteriously find not only the grain, but the money also. So then they come back, but they come back and they bring the money with them. So instead of being just interested in greed and self-interest, just like they were to start with when they sold Joseph into slavery, they're bringing the stuff back. Then in chapters 41, 1 to 13, we can see um, when the, once they've, they, they've come back, Joseph then gets his steward to test their loyalty, integrity and openness. Because not only does he then um, give them the grain, release Simeon, he then hides his special cup in Benjamin's sack. And then he sends his steward out to them afterwards. And he says, uh, the steward basically accuses them of one of them of stealing his cup. And they say, no, we haven't done that. But they say, if anyone has done that, we will all come back as slaves, they say. They showed loyalty to one another in that situation. They showed a loyalty to one another, which they didn't show originally to Joseph. From before, they could have said, okay, whoever's got that in there, they can be a slave. But they said, no, that person should be put to death and we will all become slaves if that's the case. They showed loyalty to one another. And they said, the next thing they did, they said, okay, look in our sacks. We open it up. They became vulnerable and open. In relationships, vulnerability and openness helps build trust. As they opened up their sacks, they became vulnerable to whatever was going to happen next. And then, to horror of horrors, they found the cup in Benjamin's sack. And then, who is it that pipes up then? Joseph then tests Judah's loyalty and willing to sacrifice, because Judah says, take me. Take me instead. Don't blame Benjamin. There's been a change in heart in Judah. Judah was the one that wanted to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. And now Judah's changed. He says, instead, take me instead of Benjamin. He's self-sacrificed. His brothers grow in integrity and desire for good rather than evil. And Joseph begins to trust them again. It's a powerful story when you look at it in this um, relationship that is broken down and irreparable as far as you can see but through God's grace in these people's hearts Joseph's willingness to forgive and the brother's willingness to change and become more trustworthy it joins the relationship back again but for us as individuals <clears throat> there's lessons there we should become humble. We should self-reflect on where we are. We should move away from any greed or self-interest in our lives. We need to exhibit loyalty. We need to exhibit integrity. If we say we're going to do something, we need to do it. Our word should be our bond. We need to be open and vulnerable, not to everybody, but in certain relationships we need to be. And we need a willingness sometimes to sacrifice our good 
for the sake of other people. If we have that kind of attitude about us, people will say, that is a trustworthy person. I can trust them with my life. And equally so, if we're looking to trust, these are the people that we should look to trust in in our lives. Because love is associated with trust. You can't separate the two. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the story of Joseph. Father God, I'm sure there are people here in this room now who have been let down and had trust broken in their lives. Father, come and minister to them now. Bring healing to them now. Father, help them to forgive. Help them to put out a hand of reconciliation. And Father, move into the lives of the people that have let them down and convict them by your spirit, Lord. But all of us, Lord, we want to look in the mirror and we want to see ourselves as we really are. And if we're not living as trustworthy people, Lord, help us to act more trustworthy. Because we know that that is exhibiting love in action. In Jesus' name. Amen.